0: If you want to follow along with translation, there's the Microsoft translator code. And if you don't know how to use that, then you can get some help here. Clifford is in the back row. He'll he'll certainly help you get that. Let's look at a couple of verses this morning. We're going to talk uh, about evangelism and figure out kind of what that means together. But I want to start just by reading two texts this morning. The first one is from the book of Romans. It's chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And then the other is the Great Commission, which you may be familiar with, probably both of these, if you're from a church background. And here's what we read in Romans chapter 1. I am obligated both to Greeks and non Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we read this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age." This is the Word of God. I pray that He adds His blessing to it and gives us understanding and conviction. Now We're going to talk for the next few weeks about evangelism, and that word means different things to different people. You may have some really negative uh, response uh, to, to that word, maybe a very positive response. One and you have your reasons for why that's the case. But it is a word that the Bible uses to talk about uh, what we are to be doing if we are following Jesus. And so we want to talk about sharing that message. And today we're talking about sharing with conviction. Now the controlling verse, and we'll be doing this for three weeks, is in the book of Philemon, who some of my friends probably appropriately call Philemonion. And, <laughs> and Philemon's a very short book. In fact, it doesn't have more than one chapter. So if I say Philemon 6, Philemon 6 right here, it's not a six-ounce steak or something. It's just actually the verse number there's only, because there's only one chapter. So that verse says this. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing, we have in Christ. I find that verse fascinating. So Paul is writing to a group of people there. If you look at the verses before, he's, he mentions two men, and he mentions one woman, and he mentions a church. And he says, this is who I'm writing it to, men and women, and in fact, an entire church. That there is a sense in which when you share your faith, you have a deeper understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. I mean, there's actually sort of a correlation there between the the words that you say and and, and the life that you live and the way that you understand more and more what you have in Christ. So part of our goal in doing this is really so that we can grow together. We want a full, if you're a believer here this morning, don't you want a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ? I, I know I do. And so part of what, we have an opportunity to do is explore how that happens and what it looks like when we share this faith that we have. So this week, sharing with conviction. Next week, sharing independence. And then the final week, sharing with intentionality. And what we want to consider is what evangelism is, why we should be engaged in it, and how we do it. And of course, this won't be exhaustive. But I'm hoping and praying that the Spirit stirs in our heart a desire and an eagerness to be a part of it. And I want to begin by inviting one of our own members to come up and to share. Jennifer is going to come up and share how this has been happening in her own life. This isn't just something that somebody who has a label like me can be engaged in. It's for everybody. So Jennifer, thank you.
1: Uh, greetings to you all in the name of uh, Jesus Christ. And um, I'm here to speak about evangelism with conviction. And it was not in my least of dreams that I imagined that I'll be here in front of a church speaking about evangelism, (laughs) because I had a lot of uh, thoughts, which was different, and I thought this is God's profession. So it's it's a God's thing, and it's God who's going to do all that. So I I just I'm just here to serve His purpose, which is by living a good life, and I don't have anything to do with evangelism. So uh, I want to take you all down a trip to my life's memory lane. Don't worry, it's. It's short, though it is 38 years. It's going to be short, and um, I, 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 I want to uh, see. Uh, I want y'all to see why this was sh- this was sharing with conviction. Because uh, I want you to know a lot, uh, a little things about me. So I'm this uh, weird person who had a childhood name of sack of potatoes, so some of the ladies know that here, but I like to stay in a place, I don't like traveling, and I I, I can be very a very vibrant sack of potatoes, though, <laughs> staying at the same place. And uh, I'm also an early riser who married a person who thinks 8 a.m. is early morning. For me, where 5 a.m. is early morning, or I think it's late for me. So that kind of a word, weird combination I uh, come from. And uh, so being an early riser, I always love to watch the birds because they are there only in the morning. So I went with my brother for bird watching. And um, I think uh, when I was 10, we used to go bird watching. And then I love the birds. I love the colors. And only after some time that I knew that like a few weeks that we are there on a purpose because my brother started uh, noting down things that what are the Uh, flowers that they take nectar from so what, what are the flowers that they go seeking and it's all about pollination and biodiversity and what is the things that they're doing for the ecosystem which was too hard for me I was like I thought bird watching was easy because just watching the birds and seeing nature that was easier than doing all this biodiversity and ecosystem kind of a thing so I backed off I said no this is not my thing so I'm that kind of a person I love I love to enjoy but when it gets to the real Um, motive or the the, the professional part of it, I wouldn't want to do it because I I think that is very unkind to the birds to make them (laughs) commercialized. So this, this um, character stayed with me, and uh, I'm also born to parents who uh, have a very bold, kind way of doing evangelism. Like they can host open-air meetings or they can pass on tracks and the roads, and they were also arrested um, a few times or close to getting arrested a couple of times uh, for evangelism, and I'm no way near to that. And especially, I had, I had built this confidence of lifestyle evangelism, I, I gave a name for my evangelism. I said, like, I want people to see my life and um, think about Christ, but I don't want to go um, tell everybody about Christ. So I, my confidence was I had evangelism but I was doing a lifestyle evangelism which I thought was a very fancy name because I was a teen I named it and I'm, I'm super good at it and uh, I love to do something against my dad all the time so because he was a downcore evangelist I wanted to do something different so I was so happy so I was like this unsinkable titan um, titanic who was on her maiden journey for like 37 years, and um, so well, that's not a maiden journey, right? Okay, so that she was on a journey for 37 years. And of a few, a few uh, um, days before March 25th of 2023, I got this, uh, I was uh, doing a spiritual gift assessment, which was uh, supposed to be um, a part of our uh, <clears throat> a leads meeting, uh, a, a ladies meeting, and uh, I had already, this was not the first time I was doing it, I had already done it and my lowest scores were craftsmanship and evangelism so when i looked at craftsmanship i was like oh wow i love that because when i drew a pair of um, not a pair uh, when i drew uh, two flowers and showed it to my friends they used to say wow that's a beautiful pair of shoes so i was like and then i converted it yeah that's that's shoes beautiful you guessed it right so i i loved it when i my uh, lowest grade was craftsmanship. and But when it was evangelism, I had all I already have seen this score because when I became a member for the Discover Redeemer, even then my score was low. Um, uh, my lowest score was evangelism, but then the conviction has not happened. So I was like, the conviction was so easy to brush it off. My dad's uh, uh, desire on me, I was able to brush it off. Uh, And even Anastasia, who went to the Lord, uh, she has spoken to me about persecution in India and uh, things about evangelism, but that was also easy to brush it off. But this this time, when I saw my score about evangelism, I felt so burdened. I was no more like this unsinkable Titanic, but I went crashing down like a submarine. And... um, it was it was so different, and I started googling symptoms, weird feeling down your abdomen, and feeling off like things, and please don't do that, cause you would say like, they would say like irritable bowel syndrome to the worst of diseases, So, but I was not having any of them. And uh, this conviction carried on. And uh, in, in, a, in a meeting on the March 25th, I very well remember the date, so that's why I want to point it out. Um, there was a very uh, bold, Statement made by one of the ladies there uh, when we were speaking about my gift of evangelism, most of us had evangelism as our lowest score. So we said, like, oh, yeah, it's not my thing. It's a God's thing. And uh, she said, if we don't tell, how will they know? So I'm so grateful for that statement that Terry made, uh, which convicted me so hard enough that all the while I was thinking, Jesus is the master of the universe. It's his profession to call people to his uh, um, kingdom. And I'm here just uh, living my life, so I, I have nothing to do with this. But then every time with my lifestyle evangelism, I prayed for the hearts of people, for God to work on their hearts, I deny the fact that I had to pray for my heart to do this mission of evangelism. So it is not uh, God, uh, the Spirit worked through me, uh, giving me a feeling that this is not like a Star Wars kind of a mission where we gather people and get to the ready of the end of the world. But it is, it is so personal. If he didn't want it to be personal, he wouldn't have come down by himself, and he wouldn't have had his last words. The last words are so precious for every human, right? So he wouldn't have said, Spread the good news. He would have done it in some magical way. He could just appear here and say, "Guys, come on, follow me." That's super exciting and super impressive, right? But he is—he's a God who's personal. He touches your heart. He touches—he wants you to touch the hearts of others. So this was a confident. This was a conviction that broke my confidence of the lifestyle of evangelism, and I wanted to really work on my weakest um, gift. And um, this journey's hard, I would like to say. This journey's hard, and right from the time that I was convicted, I'm, I'm taking up um, trainings, I'm taking up, uh, training, I'm taking up um, all, all kind of things that will make this gift, the weakest gift, um, stronger. But he reminds me, though I'm weak, he is strong. And uh, it, it can happen only with the spirit. So the spirit is leading me, I believe, and I want you all to encourage, encourage me with your prayer because I really want to do this. And I stand here with a lot of conviction and I would encourage you all to also join us for a seminar on Saturday, the September 23rd. And you'll also hear more from experts, not a convicted person like me, from experts throughout the week. And um, I hope you all enjoy this uh, journey. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, this was a free gift that we received. And uh, the free gift of salvation that uh, we have uh, the opportunities that we have lost to share the souls that we have lost who didn't hear about Jesus um, for this free gift. And the free code is so simple. It's his name, Jesus. And if you just trust his name, you're going to all get this free gift. So I continue to um, ask you all honestly to pray for me. And um, if this has uh, touched you in any way, please join us for a seminar to learn more and to grow more and to pray together. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate that so much for a whole host of reasons. One is she said our lowest gift is evangelism. And I know for some of us, too, you take that, that Strengths Finder. Are you familiar with Strengths Finder? You talk about kind of living with your strengths, you're going to have a better return on that investment and and your weaknesses and obviously there's something to that but here's somebody who evangelism was a lower a low gift and said by God's conviction I want to I want to figure out more how I can do better in that arena and it really was something that the Holy Spirit was doing in Jennifer's heart and there's some ways that she's had opportunities that she didn't even share about that have come about as a direct result of pursuing that And that's true for you, I think, as well. But where I want to start is kind of looking back here at just these two passages uh, together and and, and considering Paul there in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, uh, this firmly held belief. That's what a conviction is. We should talk about sharing with conviction. You have a firmly held belief And so that affects the way that you live your life and the way you speak as well. And this passage here says very, very clearly in Romans 1, 14 through 17, that the gospel really is good news for me and for you. Now, evangelizo, which is the Greek for it, means I declare the good news. It's not like I declare bankruptcy for those who are Office fans or anything like that. You actually speak forward good news that's been given to you. And so the conviction that Paul has is that what he has to share, the content of that message, it actually is good news. That's that's baked into the word itself. Like if you're making a recipe and you add something to it, good news is right there in the middle of this recipe, as it were. So Paul himself experienced and knew the good news of the gospel and it transformed his life. You can read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 9. Uh, it's so Jesus shows up in, in a, an incredible way and completely changes his direction in life. And because that's the case, he, he, wants, he doesn't just want to share this with others. He says in verse 14, I feel obligated to share it with others. And look at that in verse 14, or the very beginning. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks. Both to the wise and the foolish. He's using these broad categories. He uses it later. He says the gospel, which means the good news, actually is something that's going first to 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 the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So that's a global category. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. He says, it's for everybody. I have, I'm under an obligation to do it. Not like drudgery or duty, but conviction and joy because God's grace that saved him so compels him, he has to share it with others as well. In fact, in verse 14, he says, I, that's why I was eager to preach the gospel. Also to you who are at Rome. This isn't just some job he's been given. He's actually excited about it. He's eager. He has his eyes set on Rome, which back in the day, and still even today, was a pretty exotic location. It was a place that was bustling with activity, a major metropolitan area, and it was setting the agenda for all kinds of kingdoms all around. He wanted to go to Rome. Why? Well, it wasn't so he could get a map and put a pin in there and say, "Bend to Rome. It was because Rome was a place of influence and he wanted the good news to be shared there. He was eager to get there. Because he had good news to share. And he says in verse 16, he's not ashamed of this good news. And the reason he's not ashamed is because he knows it's actually the power of God. That in this good news, the God who created us, which we looked at last week, unleashes the power for transformation. And Paul was so committed to that that he wanted to spend his life sharing that message with amazing conviction. John Stott puts it this way, Paul knew that the message of the cross was foolishness to some and a stumbling block to others because it undermines self-righteousness and challenges self indulgence. So, whenever the gospel is faithfully preached, it arouses opposition, often contempt, and sometimes ridicule. How then did Paul, and how shall we, overcome the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel? And he tells us it is by remembering that the very same message, which some people despise for its weakness, is in fact the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. How do we know this in the long run? Only because we have experienced its saving power in our own lives. Has God reconciled us to himself through Christ, forgiven our sins, made us his children, put his spirit in us, begun to transform us and introduced us into this new community? Then how can we possibly be ashamed of the gospel The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Paul was convinced that the gospel was spiritual dynamite and that this was the explosive power, the explosive reality that gave us the capacity to completely change our lives, for seeing and living life and experiencing it as it was designed. Sin, according to the Bible, changed everything and convinced us ultimately that we can be God we don't need him. If you know the storyline of the Bible, you, you understand that's what happened. They, they, God said, I, I've created you. I've put you in this garden. And Satan comes along and says, you don't either need God, or actually, he's afraid that you'll take over. You'll know good and evil like he does, so go ahead and test him in this. And in fact, that's what happens. And so man effectively says, we don't need you. We've got this on our own. And the history that follows is something you all know, because you live it, not only on that grand scale cosmically, but even internally in your own soul. Ultimately speaking, if you aren't relying on God, you're relying on yourself to give meaning, purpose, direction. How's that working? Historically, not very well. And so Paul was the same way. He had a great zeal for the things of God, but it was misguided until he met Jesus and Jesus reminds him, I am God. I am the Messiah. And your life now is lived in surrender to me. And for Paul and for so many others, that's where life really begins. And that's why he says it's good news. You lay down your life and then you gain it because you see it as it ought to be. And in the gospel, according to verse 17, we discover that God provides in the person and the work of Christ what he did, his righteousness given to us. We've done nothing to earn it. This is, this is a gift of God. Not by works. We can't boast. That's why I was praying, take away our pride. If you uh, call yourself a Christian today, you have no, no room for pride It's not by works. No one can boast. It's a gift of God. And he's given us some things to do. One of those things is to share with conviction the very faith that he's birthed in us. Certainly that's where Paul was. He had this eternal lens, this simple trust in the person, the work of Jesus that set him free and gave value to his life. He just wanted to declare that to others. And maybe that sounds familiar to you, but... This, actually, this text itself is pretty important in the life of the church if you look historically. I'll just give you a couple of examples of that. One of them was Martin Luther, and some of you will know Martin Luther, who was around in the, in the 1500s, and he was a monk and he, because he wanted to be close to God. So he at least knew that he was separated from God and he wanted to be close to him. He was so serious about that. Some of us don't care, but he cared that he became a monk. And he said, I just want to focus all my life on getting close to God. But he never felt close to God. He, he, he always fell short of experiencing uh, th- this closeness to God that he longed for. He said, if ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, I would have gotten there. He would fast for days. He would pray fervently. He would go without sleep for nights on end. He would go on pilgrimages. He would punish himself without mercy. He would confess his sins over and over and over and over again, but he never felt lasting peace. He wrote this, My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merits—that that is the things that I did, would ever satisfy him. Now, Some of you, like I said, you don't care about these things. You're like, my goodness, spend your life on something that matters. But many of you might get that. There's a sense sometimes, maybe in a moment, when you say, I know I'm far from God and I don't want to be. And so you try. What do I do? How do I get closer to God? Maybe even some of that's being honest and confessing over and over, but you always experience that that sense of distance from him. That was Martin Luther. And then he says he turned to the word of God. This is what he discovered. He was actually reading in the book of Romans these very verses that we read, although he would have done it probably in German. Nonetheless, he says after he that kind of the light bulb moment went on for him. He said, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. So that's how this passage ended a righteousness from faith. It's by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness, right? The, the good things that. The the right standing before God, by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. As it is written, he who through faith is is, is righteous shall live. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul's became to me a gate to heaven. For Martin Luther, then, he said, the gate to heaven is understanding that Christ has paid the sacrifice in full. I cannot do enough good. I can't share my faith enough times to earn my way into heaven. I can't confess enough times to earn my way into heaven. It is what Christ has done. He was so consumed with the work and the person of Jesus that it set him free. And this, this is the good news. This is where we start because if we, if we start with any other place, you're going to be motivated by the wrong thing. By guilt, by shame, by, by a sense of, of earning favor before God. By a sense of comparison to others. I shared my faith more than you did. By pride, all that, throw it out. This this motivation here is the the inexpressible truth that Christ has saved me by faith. It's it's grace alone. That's the starting point. At least it certainly was even for Paul and then definitely for Martin Luther. But, But wait, there's more. There are more people who are important people that we know of throughout history, Uh, 200 years later after Martin Luther in London, the Holy Spirit used this very passage in Romans to capture the soul of an English pastor named John Wesley. Some of you are familiar with uh, John Wesley and his involvement in some of the Great Awakenings and uh, the United Methodist Church and a bunch of other things as well. He was at an evening service, and some of you know this story, at Aldersgate Street in London. It was May 24th, 1738. And part of Martin Luther's commentary on Romans was being read aloud. So they were looking at the book of Romans and reading aloud what Martin Luther was said. And this is what Wesley said when, when this was being read. He was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You know, Wesley was an interesting character. Before he did this, he was a missionary. He was traveling to Georgia, but he hadn't yet really become a Christian. You can actually do a lot of good things, and you know, but... Are you really a Christian? For him, what makes him a Christian was relying only in Christ. And he was relying on his good works before. You can read about it in his journals. This completely changed everything. See, when I when we, we do something like evangelism, which is not a strength for me, by the way, it's not one of my higher spiritual gifts. When we you know, started doing the church planting thing, I told a group of people, please pray that God will give me the gift of evangelism. I'm still waiting. Please pray. What I what I started praying for, you know, this this is kind of an end around. Is God would you send people to Redeemer who have the gift of evangelism? That's a good prayer, by the way. And He didn't. You heard her name already, like Terry and others too. And Anhel, it's 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 happening. But we pray for the gifts, right? I could do that. In the, in the meantime, there's there's at least a starting point for me saying. Well, why am I not sharing with conviction? There's something going on, but I have to start right here. Do I grasp what God has given me? And if I do, to the extent that I do, then what are the barriers keeping me from sharing it with others? That's a good place to start. So we got to remind ourselves, the gospel, it's really good news, and you have to remember that. I know when I first became a believer, I think I probably was an evangelist then. I don't know how many of you are like this. It was so transformative. It, I don't have this sordid background story where God rescued me from you know, the pit of despair. He just gave me a heart and a love for the things of God I'd never known before. It really changed the way I thought about absolutely everything. And I could not contain myself. I had to share it with my teenage friends. I might have been a little annoying to some people. I don't know, didn't care. Because it really wasn't about what they were thinking of me, it was what I had to share with them that was happening in me and you know over time that's what however many tens of dozens of years ago you go up and down in your spiritual growth and maybe kind of waxes and wanes uh, there, are, there are moments when it's it's fresher and, 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 and more real and vibrant of course but that 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 claim on me still exists I still have that obligation and if I'm not eager then it's a good chance to say why what's happening how did God stir the embers again as well? At least in part, Paul says, be active in sharing your faith so you can understand what God's given you. So it's not something that, if you have a negative idea about it, it's something that God has created as something negative. In fact, I want to suggest to you that the, the gospel itself, as we've defined it, the good news, challenges all of the negative concepts that people have about evangelism. And there are, some, there are some legitimate ones. For example, have you heard of televangelists before? That's, that's television evangelism. Sometimes you know, there are some good things that may become of that. But a lot of these people who are saying, believe in Christ and give me your money in the process, right? And you know that, that there are people out there who believe that God wants to prosper you by prospering themselves. That's the gospel. It's it's a health and wealth gospel, right? And so when I come to somebody and say, I'm a Christian, they might think about that person and say, oh, you're one of those people. Or even just in general, if you're not a believer, you think of the church. A lot of people think of the church, they're just trying to get my money, right? So how would the gospel approach evangelism if it's motivated by money? What do you think the gospel says to that? What does Jesus say about money? In fact, he says, you can't serve God and money. It's impossible. You see, if money is what's motivating your evangelism, then you're actually working against the very thing that you're supposed to be doing. This is, it's mastering you. God is your master alone. Or, it could be even numbers. You know, some people show big numbers. I know when I was in India, and this isn't always what happens, but talking to some people, indigenous leaders there. There are some evangelists who will come in and pay people a very small amount of money to get on a bus and to go to a rally and to respond to an altar call so they can take pictures and send it back to the West to receive more money. And that was very counterproductive to the actual message of the gospel. But the idea was, We'll do evangelism so we can have lots of numbers so that we can look like we're actually making a difference for God's kingdom. Now, if that kind of makes you mad, good. Yeah. It should. That's wrong. But this does happen because people are motivated either by money or by, or, or, or by numbers, fame, notoriety. And that's, that's not right. That is, that is a wrong picture of evangelism. And the gospel comes in and says, you know what, so many times throughout the Bible, God isn't impressed by numbers. He, in fact, he whittles away numbers so he can show it's about him, not about you. Take away all the things you can say, look at what we did, because, and they might be originally well-intentioned, but somehow they got off track. And God says, nah, it's all coming down. You're building a house of cards. The only foundation is Christ. The only foundation is Christ. The wind's going to come, and it'll go away. It's just a matter of time. time. My kingdom's the only one that's eternal. Or even power. Sometimes evangelism can be power. And th- think about power like, like this. Your capacity to influence people toward your perspective. You know, if you're evangelizing because you want people to believe the same thing you do so you can get their vote, Right? That might be an example of unintentional wielding of power to leverage their opinions toward yours. And the kingdom of God says it's not about that at all. It's, you know, Jesus had a crazy bunch of people around him for a lot of reasons. One of them was they were very, very different, even politically. So we, we, we think sometimes that the influence we yield through evangelism is to align people with our perspective so we'll feel better. And the gospel says, no, for the wise and the foolish. This is for the Greek and the, and the non-Greek. This is for the Jew and the Gentile. It's not, it's not about wielding influence unless the influence you're talking about comes from telling people that this is an upside-down kingdom where power means to serve others. That's it. And Jesus, what was he thinking about? In John chapter 13, when he said, Hold on before I leave, gonna give you a little picture of what power looks like in my kingdom. I'm becoming the humblest servant in the room, gonna wash your feet. Now, you don't understand. Power means gaining influence, wielding the sword, controlling. No, I'm gonna wash your feet. You wanna be like me? Let's serve each other. I mean, Jesus' vision. Is so upside down. And, and this is the message that we take, I would argue, in the context of evangelism as well. The gospel dismantles wrong motivations. And so what is the right motivation? What is the good news? It's God saving me by grace through faith. And I, that's where I think we need to start. And when, when we get off track a little bit from that, uh, it, goes, it goes awry and we have some negative connotations of evangelism that are deserved even for people who don't belong to the family of God. Well, let's talk just briefly about this next thing too and this is a little bit shorter but you can't do a beginning message on evangelism without talking about the Great Commission, can you? Impossible. Jesus in Matthew 28, He's he's... These are some of his final words, and Jennifer mentioned it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So, this is what you do. This is the job of the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, sharing the gospel, it's not just good news, but actually, it's a response of loving obedience. Hudson Taylor said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. And a comment like that, no doubt, is designed to fan the flame some embers that are barely burning. But like we said earlier, if the motive is guilt or shame or fear, those can be great jump starters. But the only sustainable motive for any of this is love. And when Jesus talks about the commands that he gives, he said to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So there is an obedience thing, but it's a loving obedience. It's rooted in relationship. He's talking to his friends. He said, this is what it looks like to walk in my ways. So he gives those commands in the context of relationship, but they are, they are for us to obey. This great commission's fascinating for those of you who are, uh, enjoy grammar. There's a main verb there, and the main verb in the Greek is make disciples. That's what he says. Your task as a church is to make disciples. And then there are three participles. How do you do that? Going, baptizing, and teaching. So job, make disciples. How? Going. Now, the the, the challenge, of course, is the very first part there, going. That's the first thing. How do you make disciples? you got to go somewhere. A lot of times we think, Okay, it's great. You guys have come here today. Fantastic. We'd love to see people who aren't embracing faith in Christ come. Great. But, but Jesus in the great command didn't say, here's how you fulfill this. Have a great church service and people will come. If you build it, they'll come. Right? No, go. Who go? Me go? Me, for everybody? Me go to your place of work? Me go to your family? No, you go to your place of work. You go to your family. You go to your community. That's the genius of it. You each, if you're somebody who's following Christ, have access to people I don't. You've got these complex and quirky relationships with people all over the place where you get to start asking, how does the gospel come in this context? And that's where I think you begin as well. If you do have the conviction, I ought to be sharing, I want to be sharing, start in your sphere of influence. Start with those concentric circles. You know, start with you, but then who's closest to me? And my family, and what does that look like? In my em- place of employment. And if, if you're wondering how to even do any of this, you've already heard it. We've got a Saturday seminar coming up that starts talking about what this looks like. How do we do this? I don't, I don't know anything. I got to sense of wanting to do it, but I don't know where to begin. I've got all these hang-ups. So do we. We all do. But we're, we're in this together, so let's equip each other for that. But you've got to go. And that, so it's an active pursuit. And I think that tends to be the biggest problem today in our context. You know, it's great if you're supporting people. We've got all this faith promise money and we're sending. It's, it's amazing. But you, too, are a missionary. And we talk about being mission-minded. We're having a missionary mentality. That's it. You are a sent one by God. You're a letter being read by others as well. So does that mean that you start baptizing people at work? Well, I mean, for some people, maybe it does. I would argue that's a a picture of visible entrance into the kingdom of God, the family of God, the church, the gathered believers as well. You're identifying with Christ in his body. That's why we plant churches, and you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, it's interesting, that's a singular name in Greek, but there are three persons involved here as well. So you you go, fine, but somebody responds, and we get incorporated into the life of the church. And One of the signals of that is baptism, which in some cultures is, is hard to do because it signals, I'm on board with this. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, you, you really should be. And that's a part of how we go from, I think, individual to corporate. You know, the, the, the body of Christ is the one and the many. It's, you've got a role, but then we're part of a bigger body. And some of that happens in the context of baptism. And then we go on to say you continue by teaching. So if you're teaching, you're, you're imparting wisdom and learning and telling others how to apply the truth of Scripture. This is a lifelong project, right? We are disciples growing in our knowledge and application of the gospel. And part of the way that we grow and understand that, to finish where we started, is in being active and sharing your faith. That's part of the the process. You're not alone in this endeavor. And there's great resources, of course. Others in the journey with you. And most of all, perhaps most encouraging, is Christ himself is with us in this journey. Isn't that encouraging? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter where you are, Christ is present with us. So this sharing with conviction, it's evangelism, it's it's a command, but when viewed through a response of loving obedience, it can be a joy. And that's the case with all of God's commands. If you were here last week, do you remember when we went through Psalm 19? It has this incredible list of all the benefits that come from God's word. You know, it makes wise the simple. And in all these great things, And it ends by saying, you know, there's great reward in keeping them. They're more precious than gold. They're sweeter than honey. God's commands, sweeter than honey, something to be tasted and savored and enjoyed. I think that's an apt picture. Uh, and, 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 in fact, Jonathan Edwards, for those of you who recognize that uh, name also, he and, and Wesley both figured large into revivals across the United States of America and some in Europe as well, says it's about honey. I can show you honey. You can marvel at its golden hue, the way it re- refracts light and its viscosity. And I can tell you that it is sweet. And you can believe that it is sweet. But unless you have tasted it, you don't know that it is sweet. Believing honey is sweet doesn't mean you really know it is sweet. I could be lying to you. You only know honey is sweet when you've tasted it. I love the image of taste and see that the Lord is good. You only know he's good when you taste him. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I would suggest that you taste it. And if you don't know what that means, ask somebody or just ask God. I want to taste and see that you are good. But that longing for us to have the honey that, that we have for others to savor, that's really at the core and the heart of any sort of evangelism discussion that we ought to be having and we will be having. So, my encouragement to you this morning taste and see that the Lord is good. Be praying for us as we talk about more of what this looks like. And if you can, can kind of plan on coming, even if you don't know what to expect, it's, it's not gonna be scary, it's gonna be a time of equipping, uh, challenging, asking questions and trying to seek, and, and, and hopefully unleashing us to go in such a way that we have the freedom and the skills to be able to be active in sharing our faith and trusting God with the results. That's one of the beautiful things about it. There are people who plant seeds. There are some who water. But God's the one who causes the growth. That's his his responsibility. But he is calling us to partner with him in that as we sow these seeds. So, Father, I do pray that we'd be reminded of the very basics of the gospel. I think we spend a lot of time here because we often forget That is the root of this all. Jesus Christ is the sure foundation. Everything else we're just building on foundations that will disappear. Thank you that we're part of an eternal kingdom that that far surpasses any of the greatest kingdoms of the world. It's a kingdom that endures. Give us wisdom for how we live as citizens in that kingdom bearing citizenship in nations as well. We want to be responsible stewards. And we want to be good stewards of the gospel itself. So move us toward a conviction, not one driven by guilt or shame, but a compulsion out of the grace that we've received as well to be able to share that conviction with others. We certainly pray that you to remind us of the goodness that we have in Christ. And we thank you that we have a picture of that in the Lord's Supper, that we enjoy together as a a family. And this is the great leveling ground, the, the body and the blood of Christ, the body given for us, the blood spilled for us, a picture of righteousness. We are made right with God because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. And our response to that is to take in by faith these elements, and to remind us again of the grace of God. Not so that we don't boast, but then to, to gear up for the good works that you've put in front of us to do. One of those is to share the goodness of the Christ, who, which we've received as well. So renew in us a heart for the things of God, even for evangelism. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.